0: Bagioli was born into a prominent family of creatives and musicians in New York City in 1836. They were a well known society family in New York City, and Teresa was said to have been beautiful, bright, and have spoken five languages by the time she was fifteen years old. Actually, if you go ahead and Google her, Teresa Bagioli. 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 Yeah, that's the you gotta sing it. Yeah, you've got to get the music of the name.
1: Your cousin lives in Italy. I know these things. I'm yeah. connected.
0: <laughs> um, so if you go ahead and Google her, she was a complete and total smoke show. She had, like, this dark hair and these dark eyes. She looked like one of these women who was super mysterious and gorgeous. But then, I mean, honestly, then again, you see different illustrations of the same people. And, like, in, one, in some of them, she looks like the plainest, most matronly lady I've ever seen. And in some of them, she looks like... Oh, my God. Hubba hubba. (laughs) So around the time that she was born, her uncle, a professor at the newly founded New York University.
1: Newly founded.
0: Yeah, it had been founded five years prior. uh, Invited a young protege named Daniel Sickles to live in his home with him while Daniel was studying.
1: Does he go on to study and discover sickle cell trait and sickle cell anemia?
0: No, that's not this kind of show
1: always disappointed
0: <laughs> daniel actually went on to become a lawyer and politician and stayed close to the Bagioli family for the next decade until of course he proposed to their daughter teresa oh how sweet he was 33 oh she was 15 well a
1: little less sweet more on the gross side of the scale Yeah,
0: it's a little creepy right
1: it's uh i mean yeah
0: so, due to their vast age difference, the groom was twice as old as the bride. And then some. And some change. The family opposed the marriage. But Daniel and Teresa were desperately, desperately in love. And in 1852, in a secret civil ceremony, they got married anyway.
1: Civil ceremony in 1850s to America? No, they
0: were so progressive. It was
1: gay. What will the neighbors say?
0: They were young. Mm-hmm. One of them more so than the other. They were in love, and they were actually quite successful. Later on, they would move to Washington, D.C., where their popularity skyrocketed. Teresa was charming and welcoming, and Daniel was appointed secretary of the U.S. legation in London.
1: Sorry, what's a legation? Legation.
0: I have to be honest with you. I got a lot of context clues that led me to believe that it was it had something it was like almost like an ambassador. Okay. Yeah. But I don't actually know. So if any of our listeners do know, feel free to loop us into this. Um, So at first he was the secretary of the US Legation in London and later he was elected as a member of the New York State Senate. And then even after that, he would go on to serve in Congress. Actually, after serving in Congress, he would also become a major in the Civil War. So, pretty ambitious. So they were popular, they were young, they were charming. They had
1: the world at their feet.
0: Yeah, and they lived happily ever after.
1: That was a lie.
0: No, not really, guys. Detective Society is not that kind of show. So, this is a murder show, and in 1857, just five years after getting married, in the middle of Lafayette Plaza in Washington, D.C.,
1: in the middle of Lafayette Plaza,
0: across the street from the White House, Daniel Sickles would gun down Teresa's lover in broad daylight. Ooh. What followed was a scandal that would rock America and change the history of the U.S. criminal law system. I'm Natalie Levy,
1: and I'm Michael Costa,
0: and this is Detective Society. Happy New Year! Yeah! Yeah! (laughs) Woo! So, Happy New Year, everyone.
1: Yes, we're back.
0: Um, we are back after our half a week break. I I don't have
1: context for when we record any of these. So if you say it's a half a week, I have to listen.
0: I think it was a half. It doesn't matter. We're here drinking some red wine. We've got a very growly couple of dogs. Oh, come on, Bill. She's like stealing his toy. She won't let him have it. Let it go. Okay, um, so any New Year's resolutions?
1: Record more podcast material. Yeah, obviously. Some, some this
0: thrilling dog narration we're doing.
1: Learn more terrible murders told to me by my beautiful wife. <laughs> <laughs> Barf.
0: You're gross. Uh, oh, oh, okay, uh, so we have a Facebook site now. We
1: do, we are on Facebook.
0: Some of you may have noticed I announced this a couple days ago on Twitter. We have a Facebook site now. If you'd like to like us on Facebook, I would like that. If not, that's okay too. We can also start a Facebook group if people are interested. If not, that's fine. I don't really care. Uh, Any other housekeeping?
1: Just hop on there on iTunes and tell us why we're good or why we're doing a terrible job so we can try to improve.
0: That would be great, actually. If you guys could rate and review us, I would love that. Uh, One of our most recent reviews is by Sula Girl, 22. She says she's new to the podcast thing but couldn't stop listening to Detective Society. I have a a sneaking suspicion I know who Sula Girl is.
1: Nope, total stranger. (laughs) We...
0: So, Cindy, if you're listening, we love that um, that you reviewed us. Thank you. Um, so, on to some historical murder. Come on. That's history. That's
1: my thing. Let's go.
0: I know. Mike's really, really excited this week because we're talking about history, and that's kind of his bailiwick.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. What were you laughing at? Mm, bailiwick. Your your liberal application of bailiwick.
0: Listen, man. I say what I say. So, this story has everything. Adultery, politics, murder, war, amputations, insanity,
1: antebellum America,
0: mustaches, opera glasses, oh, mustaches. sensationalism. We're gonna cover it all.
1: Oh, and don't forget the Italian last names.
0: A- and Bagioli. Actually, we're not gonna call her Teresa Bajoli anymore because she's Teresa Sickles. Which oh. is kind of a worse name. Which, so did she discover? Si- I'm sorry, I'm gonna stop making that joke about sickle cell.
1: That was the last one.
0: <laughs> so. How did this all go down? Well, even though Daniel was madly in love with his 15-year-old wife.
1: Well, I mean, she's probably like 17 now, 18, it no, doesn't 20. Matter,
0: she's 20. Michael, it's still gross. Well,
1: you know, it's 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 the 19th century.
0: Yeah, so they're all gonna be dead by 40 anyway, right? Not really. (laughs) So even though he was madly in love with Teresa, Daniel Sickles was also a damn dog. A dog, like he could not stay away from the ladies. He was known around New York and then later DC as a womanizer. He loved himself some ladies of the night.
1: Oh, he liked the stutes.
0: Oh, he loved himself some stutes.
1: From the little knowledge I've gleaned on the subject, uh, mid and early 19th century Washington D.C. was mostly prostitutes. It was a situation where there wasn't a city still because it had just been built in the middle of a swamp. And so the industries that popped up around it are a lot like mining towns. People were there for work and so booze and girls were the order of the day.
0: I guess that I could go along with this narrative if he hadn't also been a famed John in New York City, which was firmly a city at this point. He actually had a famous affair with Fanny White, a renowned prostitute and madam in New York City. And he was actually involved in a scandal where he had Fanny come to his offices at the New York State Senate. Just for fun in the middle of the day. Nothing illicit. Just
1: for some mid-afternoon fanny.
0: Just, oh, come on, man. Her name's Fanny and she's a a
1: madam. Like, there's few names that are more perfect for a prostitute, I think.
0: Okay, so he's running around town with all kinds of ladies. He frequents prostitutes. And he's... Kind of a loose cannon. That's how a lot of people describe him. So
1: like he shoots his mouth off about his prostitute he habits.
0: does. He was actually involved in another scandal in London when he snubbed Queen Victoria. This is
1: when he's part of like the Legionnaire's disease or... The legation. The legation.
0: So I'm not really surprised that he couldn't find a woman his own age to marry him. But I'm judgmental and I also don't care. So... He's out and about with Fanny. While Teresa's pregnant, he leaves her at home alone and takes Fanny to London, where he presents her to Queen Victoria. He
1: presents a prostitute to the a
0: queen? A prostituted madam to Queen Victoria using an alias. He, um, he called her by the name of a New York opponent of his so that later when it was reported that he was in London with some random oh, prostitute. Oh, surname, is like his. Yeah, his opponent was kind of slandered because of it. So keep in mind, Teresa's also pregnant at the time. Basically, everyone on the planet knows that he's running around with Fanny, that he's running around with other women, but if- my
1: my annoyance level's growing.
0: Yeah, he's not he's not my favorite character, well. but he is kind of a nutball.
1: I guess what I'm getting at is this episode didn't start with Teresa gunning down Fanny.
0: No. No, that is true. So, if Teresa knew about these affairs that he was having, she didn't... Let on? She never said anything about it. So, that kind of leads me to think maybe she expected the same kindness in return.
1: Oh, so like, uh... An open marriage, if you will. Like you get yours on the side, it's okay if I get mine too.
0: Well, this was antebellum, New York, so it wasn't unheard of for married women to take lovers. It wasn't unheard of for married men to, you know, have some to be the something. top customer
1: at, you know, prostitutes, prostitutes, and more.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's actually uh what PPM? That's that's how it started, right?
1: Well, there's an ampersand, but yeah.
0: Yeah, got it. And additionally, this is kind of sad, Teresa was unbearably lonely. Her husband was working in New York, or I'm sorry, he was working in London. She was living in New York. And keep in mind that this was a marriage that her family didn't approve of. So a lot of the people that she had been relying on, a lot of the people her who- support structure. Yeah, who had supported her throughout her whole life were n- no longer really that willing to be as supportive. And she's- 15, 16 years old?
1: It's a lot. It's
0: It's a a hard time to be dealing with all this stuff. And, oh, hey, you're pregnant.
1: And, you know, your husband's out there with Fanny. Yeah. So,
0: in 1856, the couple makes their full-time move to Washington, D.C., which only further alienates Teresa. She's about 19 right now? She's about 19. They've had their first child. Oh, God. Daniel works a lot and when he's not working he's frequenting prostitutes he also
1: works with air quotes
0: yeah and she's moving away from the life that she's known forever she's very young imagine going away to college and at the same time having a baby and at the same time your family won't talk to you and at the same time the one person that you're reliant upon is never home
1: Yeah, I mean, she's going from a situation where she's the daughter of a well-established and known family in the United States at this point in time. New York's probably like—I don't know the numbers, but I'm pretty sure New York surpassed Philadelphia at this point as like the marquee city on the East Coast. I mean, there's no West Coast yet. That's the point. So it's really difficult to go from you know being a somebody in the biggest city in the country to another politician's wife and a frankly, what's a backwater at this time?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to do in Washington, D.C. in, what did I say, 1856. Uh, But, as will kind of be illustrated, they were really, really charming. The both of them were. People liked them. They liked that Daniel was kind of kooky. He was really entertaining. Teresa was beautiful and warm and a wonderful hostess. They hosted weekly dinners, I believe it was every Tuesday or Thursday night, uh, they hosted weekly dinners for the Washington, D.C. elite. Teresa actually attended seances held by Mary Todd Lincoln. I
1: mean, Mary Todd's already off the wagon at this point of oh, insanity? Or yeah, of she's sanity?
0: In, she is deep into the occult at this point. Um, so, And actually, it was said that Mary Todd gifted their daughter this like beautiful necklace that she had inscribed that said, like, love Mary. So, they, they were really, really well-connected. So, this is when Teresa meets, cue the sexy music, District Attorney Philip Barton Key the Second.
1: Oh, what a name, what a job title.
0: Yes. Finger
1: guns all over the place.
0: So Sickles, Daniel Sickles, keeps having these affairs around Washington, is neglecting his wife, and guess what? Philip Barton Key walks in. He's said to have been the handsomest man in all Washington society. He actually looks a lot like Jim from The Office with a handlebar mustache. Yeah, if, if you go ahead and, yeah, Billy's a big fan. If you go ahead and look up... Pictures of him. There are these illustrations, obviously. They, they don't have photos of him. But he's, I think he's pretty handsome.
1: To the listeners, Natalie's a pretty big John Krasinski fan.
0: Yeah, whatever. Okay, I may have watched The Office a couple times.
1: She cries every time.
0: <laughs> and he's also a widower.
1: Now, it's weird to me that that is like a turn-on, like an attractive thing. But I get it.
0: Listen, who am I to say that maybe it's very, very sexy when a man is a widow or he's got Philip's got four kids of his own. He's so handsome. He's a devoted father. He's a district attorney. Oh, and he's also like an American treasure because he's the son of Francis Scott Key, the lawyer poet who wrote The Star Spangled Banner.
1: Well, how about that? Yeah. Sounds like a real catch.
0: Yeah, right? Too
1: bad she's married.
0: Oh, I know. Um. So, immediately, Key and Teresa are kind of crazy about each other. Again, Teresa was very young and very I
1: alone. I was going to ask, is there? do we know the, the age difference on these two?
0: So, we just did the math, and Philip Barton Key was born in 1818, and that makes him 18 years older than Teresa. So...
1: Two more years closer to Teresa's age. She's, it's not much better actually.
0: No, it's not.
1: But it's, again, it's the mid 19th century. Women died in childbirth. Like.
0: I, and also by this time, I guess she's 20. I don't know. I, I still find it a little creepy and a little much. In our
1: modern yeah. context, yeah, it's pretty weird. But I think back then it probably was pretty normal. People are, I mean, 15 when she got married to Sickles, mm-hmm. that's basically 30 this, you know, in our time, even not older
0: in life. Stop being gross. I'm just saying that, well, that also makes you're Sickles You're just like saying 50. what?
1: I'm just saying people don't live as long and healthy lives.
0: Whatever. You're gross and Daniel Sickles was a perf. Just kidding, everyone. Please don't come again. <laughs> Please don't come after me. <laughs> um, so anyway. Teresa and Key meet. They're really, really crazy about each other. She's extremely lonely. Her husband is out all of the time. And they start having this really intense love affair. Key rents a home, like, just up the street from her house. But it was also in kind of, like, a shady part of town. So it was also, there was this illicit component to it. Um, and they, they would meet there. They had a whole system to know when it was safe to to meet with each other
1: so her husband is going around sleeping with every prominent madam in the area and then bragging about it to anyone who will listen and she's having her affair with like secret handshakes and like i just i mean i guess again it should have been expected given the the time period but jesus man
0: (laughs) yeah it does it it does seem very lopsided they they would go to this like crappy part of town so that they wouldn't be recognized and it actually sounds like if you read a little bit about them, it sounds like it wasn't just sexual. Like It they had a sounded like they had a real connection and that Key actually really cared about Teresa. Their relationship, he, I mean, he, to be frank, had just lost his wife, so he might have been really emotionally vulnerable as well. But their relationship lasted well more than a year, and Key enjoyed being out with teresa when they couldn't be alone he would go to the same parties that she would he would escort her places because like i said daniel sickle was constantly out of the picture and out of town and then if like they if he couldn't escort her somewhere he would just kind of pop up Where in places that he knew she would be publicly that, but where they didn't suspect that it would be very suspicious. Um, One description of the couple said the torrid affair conducted in rented apartments, on parlor sofas, and in secluded portions of the Georgetown Cemetery raged through eighteen fifty eight. I know, right? Cemetery loving. After one D.C. costume ball, Teresa, dressed as Little Red Riding Hood, was seen entering a carriage at 2 a.m. with Key, who was clad as an English huntsman, the coach driver was instructed to drive around Washington. So, not very smooth or very chill.
1: Well, I mean, probably more chill than her husband, now. Just saying, this whole story, that's what we're going to have to compare their... Unf- you know, uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. I'm, n- I'm not unfaithful, but uh, I got nothing. I just lost it. Oh. Infidelity.
0: Infidelity. Jesus
1: Christ. It was infidelity. Fuck me. Please edit this out, Natalie. Never. Post. Never.
0: Never. Um, so it wasn't very smooth or very chill because as time wore on, basically everyone in D.C. knew that they were having an affair except for Teresa's husband, Dan Sickle.
1: Was he out of town? Was he was he so busy with prostitutes no one got a chance to get a word in edgewise?
0: So that's kind of the, the or was he just vibe that I'm getting is that he was so busy sticking it to everything that moved and that, doing his job i'm sure i'm yeah whatever i'm sure he was doing his job that he actually did not have time to think about the fact that his wife and Philip barnkey were doing the dirt the the dirty d the the dirty d until because remember guys this is a murder podcast it's not just about torrid love affairs until on Friday, February 25th, 1859, Daniel Sickles receives what is called a poison pen letter informing him that his wife was actually having an affair with Philip Barton Key II.
1: A poison pen letter, like that's like the term of the day.
0: So yeah, okay, this is a really weird thing that I had not known about before I started doing this research. These poison pen letters were like a thing. It was like the antebellum equivalent of like...
1: What we call like a Dear John letter these days.
0: Maybe a Dear John letter, but I would say it's more like finding out that your boyfriend's cheating on you and then Facebook messaging the girl. Okay. The letter reads...
1: <clears throat> From an anonymous...
0: From Anonymous, it's signed RPG. Dear Sir, with a deep regret I enclose to your address the few lines, but an indispensable duty compels me to do so, seeing that you are greatly imposed upon. There is a fellow, I may say, for he is not a gentleman by any means, by the name of Philip Barton Key. And I believe the district attorney who rents a house of a Negro man by the name of Juno A. Gray, situated on 15th Street between K and L Streets, for no other purpose than to meet your wife, Mrs. Sickles. He hangs a string out of the window as a signal to her that he is in and leaves the door unfastened. And she walks in and, sir, I do assure you with these few hints, has as much the use of your wife as you have." I leave the rest to your imagination. Most respectfully, your friend, RPG.
1: Well. Wow. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. First of all, God, people wrote letters in such an annoying way.
0: Ugh, I know, right?
1: Secondly, your wife's cheating on you, man. Yeah. It feels like you're gonna comeuppance here,
0: it does feel that way to us, I guess, now, with our, like, modern sensibility.
1: Oh, yeah, but there's no way he's feeling that way. Even someone in a modern context wouldn't feel that way. Wouldn't feel that just happened to them was deserved.
0: He does not feel that way. And Dan Sickles loses his damn mind. Literally.
1: Move. What do you mean, Literally.
0: So, to start off, immediately after reading the letter, he freaks out. He's at home and he confronts Teresa in front of their children and the entire house They
1: staff. have more than one child at this point?
0: They have one child and a ward. Okay. Um, and the entire house staff. So, like, all of their servants, everyone. Everyone, like, hears what's going on. For reasons that seem unclear to me at this point, he also forces her to write a really degrading confession letter. Basically saying that like i am a whore and this is what we did yeah even by like modern context it seems like a lot even worse (laughs) we just talked about how degrading that letter was that confession letter was later deemed inadmissible in the courts so they sent it, his defense team sent it to Harper's Weekly, and they printed they it in? on the
1: cover. Oh, God. <laughs> there goes all the good grace the Bijoli name had built up over this.
0: Yeah, it's actually, it's it's really upsetting. I, I looked up a picture of the letter, and I was trying to physically read it, and it's messy. It's nearly illegible. She was clearly writing it under duress. <laughs> The parts that I did understand. um, There was one sentence where she wrote, there was a bed in the second story. I did what is usual for a wicked woman to do. I undressed myself. Mr. Key undressed also. And she was writing all of this basically like hysterical in front of her two children.
1: With her husband yelling over her shoulder, I'm sure.
0: Yeah. And, And we just talked about like what kind of like a loose cannon Dan Sickles was. So I can't imagine that he was very easy to live with. What happens next is is not clear at all. There's no real-
1: Timeline or
0: Yeah, but literally two days later. So he gets the letter on the 25th, he confronts Teresa. And on February 27th, Sickle sees Key sitting on a bench outside of his house and flies into a complete rage. So the theory here goes that Key was sitting outside the house to see if Teresa- was Oh, he's sitting outside their house. He's sitting on a bench. So they live just off of Lafayette Square. So he's sitting on a bench in Lafayette Square and...
1: He's got some balls.
0: So that's the thought here, right? Is like, how dare he? And that's the picture Mm -hmm. that is painted by the defense.
1: Oh, okay. But then again, like, how would he even know that... The husband, that Sigal found out?
0: Exactly. So... Sickle flies into a complete rage. He runs out into the street and shoots Key once in the hand. Key grabs, he wrestles the gun away from him and throws it like as far as he can away from them, considering that he's just been shot in the hand and is bleeding.
1: He, wait, what?
0: Listen, man, I don't know what was going on. What is Sickle doing
1: at this time? Did he see one of his prostitutes? Was he saying hello?
0: No, sickle has a second gun.
1: So he lets him take the first one out of his hand. Yep. Pulls out his backup
0: and shoots him twice. Once in the groin and once in the heart. Oh man. Those are the places that love comes from, that guys. That seems
1: deliberate.
0: Yeah. In all of the hubbub he only
1: they're right in front of the white house right now
0: they're literally right in front of the white house this is all going on like in broad daylight there are plenty of people around trying to stop dan in like the saddest little detail of this so dan sickles walks out of his house guns blazing two pistols the only weapon that Philip Barton Key has to his defense is a pair of opera glasses that he had had in his coat pocket, like those
1: binocular-looking things.
0: Yeah, and he takes them and throws them at sickles, and it's like for whatever reason that's the detail that all the newspapers like glommed onto. And there's this really famous illustration that um, actually I'll link to on Twitter. That depicts the whole ordeal. And you can see the opera glasses on the floor in the street. To me, like, that was the saddest part for whatever reason. It's just such a... It's just such a, like, real detail that... I don't know. It happened so long ago. This is, what, 200 years ago almost? It,
1: it's... The mundane details help make it, like, more...
0: It makes it, it so real. Texture, like, yeah. there's a real victim here. And it doesn't sound like he was that terrible of a guy. He... He was just in love with this woman who was, was married. married. Mm. So keep in mind, this is all happening in broad daylight. There are many witnesses, and actually, it reminds me a lot of the Dante Stokes episode that we did recently. So, actually, guys, if you haven't been listening for very long, go back and listen to the Dante Stokes case. It's really interesting. It's, it's another
1: case that happens in the middle of the street.
0: It happens in the middle of the street. It's like this vigilante justice case, but it's kind of the other side of the coin. Where in the Dante Stokes episode, I was like rooting for Dante and totally like, yes, go Batman. And in this one, I'm more like, come on, man. Like, you don't have to do that. Anyway, so here's the twist. Sickles hires a bunch of basically his buddies who were the leading attorneys in the U.S., and they come up with this plan.
1: So he gets a whole posse of of lawyers together.
0: Yep. They're going to plead what is called, what they're calling, temporary insanity.
1: Are they coining the term?
0: So this is the first time in the United States that this defense would be used. But they also argued something else, and I think that this was really smart and really interesting. They argued that, quote, any reputable husband would have done the same thing in his shoes if confronted with a confirmed and habitual adulterer such as Key. So they're painting Key as like this seducer who like tricks good wives into bed and also saying that at the same time, if that weren't bad enough, that Daniel Key just snapped. That he couldn't control himself because of what was being revealed to him. And also that anyone else in his situation. You mean Sickle. Yeah. I'm sorry. What did I say? I said Key that time. Oh, I'm sorry. And also that anyone else in Sickle's place would have also snapped. And this really resounded with people.
1: Resonated with people.
0: Okay, resonated with people. Super sorry, Michael. Uh, okay. Anyway.
1: Right, my bad. Angry people on Twitter are going to come after you.
0: Oh, come on, man. Guys. I'm sorry that I said resonated and... Wait, resounded instead no, you're of resonated? No,
1: you're making it up as you go along. Okay.
0: Anyway, people ate it up.
1: Oh, it sounds... yeah. I didn't mean-
0: Newspapers backed Sickle as a hero for, quote, saving all the ladies of Washington from this rogue named Key. Like, ladies, like, can't control themselves so much. I I see how the
1: opera glasses came into this narrative they're crafting, too.
0: Yeah, so the picture is painted that Key is a predator who turned a loving wife into a whore. And then there's the whole insanity portion of the defense where basically the defense is claiming that Sickles is driven insane by his wife's infidelity. Keep in mind, everyone, that he was literally sleeping with. Every single woman he could get his hands on. So.
1: Well, that he could afford to get his hands on. (laughs) Prostitute burn.
0: (laughs) Something that I find really, really interesting about this case is that while I do believe that there are cases where people are temporarily out of their minds and then kill people, I don't necessarily think that that is what happened in this case because. Number one, he shoots Key two days after getting the letter about Teresa. And number two, if he hadn't been planning on killing Key, then why have Teresa write that weird confession letter and carry around
1: two Two guns? Yep, there you go. For me the two guns means he meditated and thought about it, and unless you're going to argue that he was not in, currently is not in his right mind, there's no temporary insanity there. It was a premeditated murder.
0: I just, I I also, and I'm thinking like maybe this is like a cultural thing that I'm not understanding. Does anyone out there know if That was a practice in the 1800s to carry around two guns. I feel like I've seen it in, like, cowboy movies.
1: Oh, I mean, maybe, but he's also, like, a senator. He's not going to the watering hole and offending someone, and they're going to go out and have a duel. You know, this is taking place 40-plus years after Aaron Burr guns down Alexander Hamilton. And duels were already outlawed back then. So, it's like, it's not anything that's happening all the time... But it's, it's 1837, like maybe it was normal that, maybe he always carried two guns, but given the circumstances surrounding everything, you see that guy out there in the park in front of your house, grab two guns to make sure. I would assume.
0: So, as is to be expected, the jury acquits Sickle and sets a precedent for 200 years of people murdering each other and claiming to be insane.
1: I wonder how many women were on that jury. Oh, zero? Probably zero.
0: So, I didn't know this, but using the temporary insanity defense is actually a lot harder than you'd think.
1: Oh, it's really hard. It's like to do successfully.
0: Yeah, I, I had I no idea, because I guess I, I read this story and was like, whoa, people are just getting off all over the place saying they're temporarily insane. But in the modern day context, it's a very difficult yeah. case to win.
1: When you first learn about it, everyone's reaction is like, oh my God, everyone can get off for murder this way. But then in context, in actuality, it's really hard to prove that you were only insane for that short period because that's the key there. That's the key is that you are normally a fine, upstanding citizen, but something happened and you snapped and now you're OK again. That's you can't prove that you can't get a psychologist stuff there that goes, I didn't talk to this person when they were, quote unquote, insane, but they're not insane now.
0: Yeah, unless like you're, I would say like a schizophrenic who like went off their meds or something. Well, that
1: see, that person's not temporarily insane though. They have a diagnosed condition. Like, there's no moment of breaking. They're already like, there's a there's another word for it. But what I'm saying is like that wouldn't they be a like temporary a- insanity plea. They would just be insane. Like their plea would just be like, I this this individual committed these crimes because of mental illness. This isn't murder. This is manslaughter. They didn't premeditate it. They're not capable of doing that because the voices in their head told them to do it. I am not a lawyer nor do I have a law degree. Please email, text, and Twitter us with all the corrections for the nonsense I'm spewing. But um, that's that's the key difference there is that a sane person goes temporarily insane. Someone who's already coming to the table with a mental illness doesn't go temporarily insane. They just bleed. They would just plead insanity.
0: Okay, that's interesting. See, I didn't know that. Anyway, for this particular case, the jury acquits sickle. It, this tactic works. It's the first time that it's ever used.
1: It's, it's good lawyering, to be honest with you.
0: This news is all over the country. People are going nuts. Like I said, Harper's Weekly puts Teresa's confession letter on the cover. It's a juicy story. People yeah. are like slandering the Key family. The Keys This involved, guy's exactly. father wrote the Star-Spangled yeah. Banner, and people were talking about changing the national anthem.
1: It was already a thing in the 50s, whatever?
0: So, it's a huge scandal. Around the same time that he's acquitted, Sickle publicly forgives Teresa, and people hate it. They are so unforgiving. Number one. Of Teresa? Totally forgiving of a murder. Totally unforgiving of... Cheating they're wife.
1: upset that he forgave his wife.
0: Yes, so he forgives her. There's all this public backlash, and basically for the rest of Teresa's life, they're estranged. She stops going out in public. He, I think, continues to support her and their daughter. But and his
1: healthy prostitute habit. Yeah, I and assume. his healthy
0: prostitute habit. Um. But they basically don't speak again, and Teresa dies very young of pneumonia.
1: My God. Is there is there an uplift? Does he, like, get mauled by a bear who eats his crotch out or something? Or like, so I don't know if like, this justice. is
0: a justice, but Sickle goes on to have a super interesting second half of his life. He is a congressman who then later after serving a term becomes a major in the Civil War and actually it's kind of fraught with scandal for the rest of his life he has to fight to become a major in the Civil War because he wasn't military trained um, the way that other majors had been he fights at Gettysburg and his he loses a leg at Gettysburg because it's blown off by a cannonball then you can see his leg still. The uh, the the bones after the leg was amputated were preserved, and I will tweet out a picture of it as well. So it's preserved, and you can see basically where the cannonball crushed it. No and way. it's displayed with a comparable cannonball so you can see the cannonball right where next to the to the crushed leg i'm not sure where is not far can we go duh we can go um but there there are photos available online um i'll definitely tweet them out there are also all these like crazy illustrations surrounding sickle's life And he also is kind of growing older in the beginning of the world of photography. So there are these really interesting photographs of him during the Civil War, after the Civil War. He continued to wear his military uniform in public for the rest of his life. He's rolling around on a wheelchair, missing a leg in his union uniform with this crazy handlebar mustache. He's also got like this super intense Stare.
1: He's a crazy person.
0: Yeah, he's nuts. Okay, yeah, he's nuts. When
1: does his wife die? Do you do you have that in front of you?
0: She dies in 1867 is when she dies. So he
1: goes she off to war and they're still together.
0: Well, they're technically still together because they don't get a divorce. Um, but she dies about 10 years after Key is murdered. And she is, I believe, around 30 at the time.
1: Yeah, just, just barely 30.
0: Yeah, so like this one's...
1: So he comes back from war, he's amputated, he's got a stupid mustache, and his wife, who he didn't like anymore, is now dead.
0: Yeah, and then he actually he remarries a young Spanish woman while oh. he's a minister to Spain, and they have two children together.
1: Listen, I, and I don't want to go in too hard on this and maybe offend some listeners. That guy's a scumbag. That guy is a fucking scumbag.
0: Yeah, his car-
1: Even by antebellum standards, he seems like a total fucking scumbag. And don't get me wrong, Kia isn't great either. There's been many stories of men dying because they slept with another man's wife. But... The other... The sickle's worse.
0: Yeah, he is kind of the worst. I guess he's, like, a super interesting figure historically. If you read about him, like, if you read about him, if you pull up his Wikipedia page, this murder is a tiny part of his Wikipedia page. It is, like, you would think that in anyone else's, like, history or biography, this would be, like, a huge portion of it. No. No,
1: he wasn't insane. It was one instant where he was temporarily insane... His whole wiki page is going to be about a time he was temporarily insane?
0: Come on! Yeah, because he murdered someone. Well, I mean,
1: obviously. That was sarcasm.
0: (laughs) How did I not read that? Whoosh. Yeah, whatever. I, I also find this particular case really, really interesting because, yes, it is the first time that temporary insanity is used as a defense, but also because... In the modern context, the way that we tend to think about temporary insanity kind of goes like one of two ways. So for me, the big examples are Lorena Bobbitt or like Ed Gein. So Lorena Bobbitt snaps, cuts off her husband's penis.
1: Throws it on the freeway. Throws
0: it on the freeway. And she's kind of been like primed for years to snap it's not like she's happy 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 one bad thing happens and then she snaps this is kind of this is a case where it builds over time there's abuse again it's like a crazy scandal but it's a situation where i think it's almost logical that a person might snap and do something really really disgusting and horrible or a case like Ed Gein, like like I was saying earlier. So Ed Gein, if you guys don't know, is a man who lived in Wisconsin um, in the early 20th century. He was actually like a horrifying serial killer who mutilated dead bodies. He was a necrophiliac. Uh, some people suggest that he was a cannibal. So permanently
1: insane, not temporarily insane.
0: So it is unclear what happened um because he led a pretty i mean it wasn't a normal life but he was not running around murdering people his entire life this is over like a span of i would say like the last 15 years of no not of his life because he went to an institution but let's say over a 15 year span maybe i i honestly have no idea if you guys do know if you are familiar with the ed Gein case please let me know um but he was psychologically unwell. Yeah. So I feel like those are kind of the two sides of the coin when we think about insanity. It's like
1: or people who are like full of
0: it. Or or people who are like full of it, but I'm talking about like legitimate yeah. insanity that's used as a defense for murder. So there's kind of like this snap where
1: which is really hard to prove.
0: It is hard to prove, but I think that there are cases that can be made for it, yeah. especially in a situation where someone's, like, been pushed to the edge for years and years and years and feels like there's no way out. And then I think
1: the other thing which you did touch on earlier was that it's that you were pushed, is that it was a split-second decision. Mm-hmm. You didn't go inside and grab a second gun. You didn't have your wife write a letter, you know, admitting to the whole affair. Like, it was, it was one of those things where... You, if he had, like, read the letter and then looked out the window and saw key and ran out and shot him. Yeah,
0: that's a completely like, different that's scenario, exactly, right?
1: Exactly. That's, you know, then I could easily say, like, okay, you know, I mean, maybe that's definitely what happened. But I mean, you can't premeditate a temporary insanity murder, at least in my opinion, which is totally not an expert on anything. So, you know, angry emails. I can't wait for them.
0: I, or, like, I don't know. Let's say that you're – yeah, I I honestly don't know, but I also, knowing the little bit that I do know about Daniel Sickles before the murder and after the murder, it seems like this guy was just all around kind of like a loose cannon. He just played it fast and loose. He's snubbing queens. He's taking prostitutes into the New York she assembly. She was a madam. I'm sorry. Fanny White was a madam Top at the time. Top prostitute. Yes, that is true.
1: Like the LeBron James of prostitutes.
0: And I find, yeah, and I find it like a little bit suspect that he's also employing like all his buddies to defend him.
1: He's employing his buddies, there's the two-day period, there's the letter he has his wife write, there's the second gun. It's just, it doesn't seem like someone who just snapped. It seems like someone who has a history of being angry and got pushed over the edge and meditated the murder of the person he didn't like.
0: Premeditated.
1: Yes, and I don't know. I mean, I guess, yeah, I don't know. I guess the only other defense is, like, why was Key there? You know? He didn't plan for Key to be there, it seems.
0: No, that's true.
1: Again, like, that'd be another smoking gun there, as if, you know, Key had a unaddressed letter that said come to Lafayette Park in two days, and he shows up for the challenge, and it turns out to be crazy sickle running out of his house, guns blazing. Yeah. Of course, if that was the case, why would you bring opera goggles to a, a gunfight that's the worst part well it's terrible that they, they use it to help paint this image of like the the party boy DC you know whining and dining your wives and corrupting their sweet pure souls with his opera and drinks and parties and his secret apartment which I noticed in the release the press release you read about it was they pointed out that it was owned by an African American
0: Yeah, I didn't feel great about using the word Negro. There was something that I really didn't like about reading it.
1: Yeah, well, it's because of the reason that they pointed it out. It adds to, like, his—this is a a period in America where anyone not a white Anglo is a suspect of all crimes. So you're painting Key as this philandering baddie. He's in cahoots with a African-American, man. You know they're bad, which is what the opinion is, not mine. yeah. It's all part of the this narrative that they're, the media jumped on because it's juicy. People read that. They like it. It's interesting. Not super interesting if the story is just like, hey, a guy got cheated on, got angry, and shot someone.
0: So what'd you think of our first historical murder?
1: I more. It's further back. Let's cover one where two Native Americans murdered each other in the swamp that would become D.C.
0: I don't know if I could find...
1: There's no press clippings from...
0: Yeah, I, I don't know Colombian if I could find documentation on that.
1: Ships? Oh, Shit. Well, I loved it.
0: Yeah? Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, mean, it doesn't have to be 19th century. You want to do early 20th century? I'm game. Mid-20th century? Yep, I'm there.
0: All right, folks. Well, let let us know if you were interested in this. Um, As always, I love hearing from you guys on Twitter. Recently, I've had people reach out to me on Twitter, and I can't tell you how much it makes my day when you guys tweet at me. Um, And again, it's at, the Detective Pod on Twitter. Again, you can email us. Um,
1: our Facebook group we just started. Our page.
0: Yeah. Well, the email address is detective pod at gmail.com. You can like Detective Society on Facebook. Uh, Mike, you have any plugs?
1: Subscribe on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Uh, yeah. Tweet at, you know, DC Baltimore area murders that you'd like to see covered?
0: Oh man, yeah, guys, definitely. Uh, If you are from the DC Baltimore area, or if if you're not from DC, Baltimore, Maryland, Virginia, go ahead and let us know what murders you wanna hear about. I generally try to do as much exhaustive research as I can on these murders, especially on ones like this where there are a lot of differing opinions, Um, but I, I love it. And I love hearing from you guys. You have no idea how happy it makes me when I see a new review or when I read a tweet or an email, it it just like makes my fucking day. You guys are rad. I can't believe that people are actually listening to this.
1: It's exciting.
0: Yeah. It's, it's really exciting. Um, oh, we were talking about having a sign off.
1: You say we were talking about, but really what you said was, hey, Michael, think of a sign-off. I got to go. I'll see you later.
0: Uh, so so is that our sign-off?
1: No, that's what you said to me when you left the room. I, I can't think about
0: it. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I like that. This is Detective Society. I got to go. I'll see you later.
1: All right. Sounds good to me.
0: Bye. Bye,
1: everyone.